It is our privilege to bring to you the following message, supported by the gifts and love offerings of the people of Rancho Baptist Church in Temecula, California. This message was recorded during our normal Sunday morning service times. Pastor Rick Foster is serving as our interim senior pastor here at Rancho Baptist Church. Well, today Pastor Rick begins a new series, and he's talking about life with a capital L. Today he's in John 10.10, in a sermon entitled, There is Something More. Here's Rick. The game of life was originally created back in 1860 by Milton Bradley. Initially, it looked more like a checkerboard board, um, and your game pieces simulated a person's travel through life uh, from early education all the way through to retirement uh, with jobs, potentially marriage, and potentially kids coming along all the way along. And it was America's favorite parlor game at that time. And in its first year, it sold over 43,000 sets. Now, 100 years later, at its 100th anniversary in 1960, the game of life underwent a major revision by toy and game designer Reuben Klommer. The current version, which probably most of us who have ever played the game are now familiar with, is a, is a winding roadway which players travel in a, a little plastic car. And the object of the game is to collect as much money as possible through career choices and investments, um, limit your exposure and your expenditures, and then arrive at retirement with the biggest wad of cash possible. And the one who ends up there with the most money wins the game. And it's, great. it's a great game. It's a, it's a fun evening for the family when you want to drag your kids away from the television set or their eyes being glued to the iPad. But there's a subtle danger. The danger is that the game of life can become the game of my life. That the instructions on how to play the game become the instructions on how I live Monday to Saturday. I mean, after all, just consider the sly messages that that game teaches. It teaches that the ultimate value values in life are to earn as much as you can, to enjoy pleasure as much as you can, and to avoid pain as much as you can. It also teaches that the primary goal of life is retirement with an enormous nest egg there for you. It also teaches that our journey forward is dictated by choice. Each day is a flick of the spinner, and who knows where we're going to land. So here's a question to ponder. Is it possible not only to have purchased the game of life, but to have bought into it? Like the board game, that we play, where there are certain cards we hope that we can draw when it's our turn, and having those cards will ensure that we win at the game of life. Is life all about getting and keeping potentially three different cards? I mean, in other words, life will be good, life will be happy, if one of the cards I can get is a card of performance. In other words, life is about what I do. Performance. 
It's my accomplishments. It's, it's my grades. It's my athletic feats on the court or on the field. It's, it's, the, it's my sales goals that I surpassed this year over last year. Um, it's my kids turning out well, because obviously that reflects upon me as a parent. It's leading a ministry at, at the church. It's always being obedient to the Lord. In other words, life is seen as what I do. It's the TV show, The Amazing Race. I am going to be there at the finish line. And that's one possible card that people can grasp onto. Or there's a second card as possibility, and that is it's the possessions card. Life is happy. All right, I'll be happy in life. Life will be meaningful to me because of what I have. So it is the salary that I'm pulling down. It is the home I own. It's the toys I collect. It's the car I drive. It's the clothes I wear. It's the degree that I have earned. It's my physical appearance. It's the experiences that I collect in life. Life is what I have. It's like the TV show, The Price is Right, and I'm going to get what's behind door number two because that will make me happy. I can then win at the game of life. Or potentially there's a third card for some, and that is the card of popularity. Life is about what other people say about me. It's respect given to me by my peers. It's others who want me as their friend. It's I'm included in important gatherings and I'm sought out for counsel. I'm sought out for people's advice. They want to give me them. To, they want me to give them advice. It's having a powerful reputation as being in control of others. Life is what others say about me. It's the TV show Survivor, and I will not get kicked off the island. Is life about? What I do, what I have, what others say about me. Why, why don't we listen to those in this generation who have all three of these cards and say it's not enough? Let me give you a couple of examples. Actor Jim Carrey, who I'm not sure where he is on Sunday morning, but I don't think he's usually in a situation like this. That's not an accusation. It's just I've never heard uh, about his spiritual life. But listen to what he said. In an interview, he said, I think everyone should get rich and famous and do everything that they've ever dreamed of so that they can see it's not the answer. Another example, quarterback Tom Brady of the New England Patriots, who by the age of 30 had three Super Bowl rings on his fingers, had been vote, voted multiple times as MVP of the National Football League, and yet on a 60-minute interview, he said this, why do I have all these rings and still think that there's something greater out there for me? A lot of people would say to me, hey man, this is what it's all about. Yeah, I reached my goal, my dream, my life, but me, I think it's got to be more than this. This isn't, this can't be all it's cracked up to be. Do we listen? See folks, there is life. And then there's life with a capital L. Life with a lowercase l is what everybody on the earth right now has. It's our hearts that are beating. It's the synapses in our brain firing off thousands of times a second. It's our lungs pulling and pushing the air in and out. But it's more than that. It's we laugh, we cry, we raise families, we go on vacations. We watch the weather, we squabble with our siblings, we pay our bills, we go to work, we yearn for the weekend. Life with a lowercase l. But then there's life with a capital L. 
It is an ancient yearning deep inside us that is hardwired there by our Creator God. For example, the rich young ruler in Mark chapter 10 expressed it. He expressed that longing when he asked Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Yeah, he knew there was more than the life he currently had. Psalm 119, I've noticed recently, the writer there repeatedly asks the Lord, give me life. He was already alive. He already had lowercase l. He wanted more. Moses offered it to the nation of Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 30, where he said, I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life, that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, holding fast to him, for he is your life. And for those of us on this side of the cross, Life with a capital L is the gospel message. It is what we are to be proclaiming boldly and broadly in this generation. Acts chapter 5, when the apostles were arrested and thrown into jail as a group, and an angel comes and delivers them out of that jail miraculously, he then instructs them with these words, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. Life with a capital L. It is, it is that intersection of meaning and purpose. It's that intersection of desire and satisfaction. It's the intersection of this day and eternity. It's that something more that we all want. And yet... Jesus warns us in John, excuse me, Matthew chapter 7 and verse 14, narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. So let's go find it. Let's go find it. Over these next seven Sundays, we're going to take a journey. And we're going to make sure we know where is that narrow road that's going to lead us to life with a capital L. For Jesus did not come to make me religious, make us religious. He came to make us alive. Now, I'm not sure what cards or cards you're holding this morning. It could be one of these three. It could be a different one. But it's vital for all of us to know that there is something more for us. Grab your Bibles. Turn to the fourth gospel, John chapter 10. Verse 10. We're going to let this one verse set us up for where we're going to be going over the coming six weeks after this. What does Jesus tell us in the last half of John 10? 10. He says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Now, for those of you who know your Bibles well, you are familiar with God's promises that are tucked into almost every page that it is possible to have a life that is eternal. But we often make the mistake of assuming that eternal life is something that begins once we die. In other words, when we hear the word eternal, our minds flip that around and we insert the word later. So we think eternal life is the carrot at the end of the divine stick. 
that the, it's the heavenly diploma after successfully completing the degree or the celestial commission after the sale is done with. In other words, it's something that will come later. Yet the word eternal in the New Testament not only describes life as unending in quantity, but it also describes life as enhanced in quality. Life with a capital L begins the moment a person puts their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior, and it's incredibly different than life with just a lowercase l. How? What is this abundant life John 10.10 tells us that Jesus spoke that he came to give us? Well, it's interesting that the New Testament authors describe six aspects to life with a capital L. What are they? First, life with a capital L is both excessive and remarkable. In other words, when you read here in John 10.10, and Jesus uses the word abundantly, that word abundant, like the word eternal, refers both to quality and quantity. So abundant life is both excessive quantity and remarkable in quality. In other words, it goes beyond what is necessary. It exceeds what is normal. It's over and above. It, it astonishes because it more than meets the needs. It blows away categories and boundaries and expectations and standards that we set up. Best probably picture of this is a river that is overflowing its banks at flood stage. I mean, the water is just going everywhere. It's just inundating everything. You just can't contain it. You cannot control it. Abundant. By the way, that word abundant is exactly the same word used in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, where Paul says, God is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all we can ask or imagine. Life with a capital L is both excessive and remarkable. Second aspect. Life with a capital L comes from God and is only found in his son Jesus. The only place you're going to find it. Let me give you some scriptures. In fact, I'm going to probably almost overwhelm you with a bunch of scriptures here, and that's fine. Just write down the references. You can go back and look at them later if you want to. But first of all, listen to what Jesus says about life with a capital L. John 5, verse 26. For just as the Father has life in himself, even so he gave to the Son also to have life in himself. Now connect that with John 6, 53. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. And that's why John the Apostle wrote in 1 John 5, 11 and 12, God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. So this morning, if you've got this sneaking suspicion that there is more to life than what you are currently desperately clinging to or doggedly trying to pursue, then pay attention to the scriptures to where life of the capital L comes from and who can give it to you. It's vital that you understand that. Which immediately leads to the third aspect. Life of the capital L is offered as a gift. 
John 5, 21. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son also gives life to whom He wishes. Romans 6.23, we know that well. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. It's a gift. Add to that now Ephesians 2.8. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God not by works, which means life with a capital L is never earned, it's never deserved. The only action on our part is to accept the gift by believing that it's being offered to us from God through His Son, Jesus Christ. It's the only thing we can do. Fourth aspect. Life with a capital L changes us from the inside out. John 4.14 Jesus told the woman at the well, something really powerful about life with a capital L. He told her, whoever drinks of the water that I give him shall never thirst, but the water that I will give him will become in them a well of water springing up to eternal life. See that in to outside action that he's describing? Or Paul describes it this way in Romans chapter 8, verse 11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal body. See, there's the difference of life with a capital L with life with just a uh, lowercase l. And it all comes through His Spirit who dwells in you. And by the way, folks, this is so important to understand and get a hold of. Because there are so many out there in our generation that have a national media presence who would seek to tell you that if you come to Jesus, then all your problems are going to go away. You're going to have all the financial resources you want and your health will be restored. Prosperity, gospel. But life with a capital L never, never promises to change our circumstances or our situation. It promises to change us. Our issues may never change, but will be changed, as Jesus says, from the inside Okay, you with me so far? Okay, I'm going to have an overwhelm you yet. Let me give you a fifth one. Here's the fifth aspect. Life with a capital L is deeply satisfying. John 6. Jesus said, The bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Now what does Jesus say in verse 35? I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. Now notice those verses. The imagery of hunger and thirst is meant to have us focus on the reality that every single one of us have desires. All of us get thirsty. All of us get hungry. And often it's more than just for food or drink. We yearn, for example, for love. We want to know that we matter. We want to know that our lives are making a difference in the people that, that we love that are right around us. The problem is, as the old country western song says, we go looking for love in all the wrong places. We've got desires. And where do we often go? Where do I often go? Empty cisterns. Idols that I build. What's called affairs of the heart. <laughs> we try to grab the cards of possessions, popularity. Performance thinking they'll be enough. 
But Jesus is the one who says, I am offering you a deep, deep heart satisfaction in myself. It's what we're looking for. He'll be enough for us. One more, a sixth. Life with a capital L is centered in a relationship with Jesus. John 17, 3. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ who you have sent. Now, I know, I'm, I know you realize this, but it's great to repeat these kinds of things. But there are two words used in the New Testament to describe knowledge. One refers to knowing facts or information so that we're informed. The second is used here in John 17, 3, to refer to knowledge that's experienced so that we're transformed. And we need both. But the word here in John 17, 3 for knowledge is that one of experiential knowledge. Experiential knowledge that transforms us. And it is by way, by way, it is the same word that is used in both Old Testament and New Testament in reference to the sexual act. Within the safe and protected setting of a marriage, there is a knowing that will take the relationship between a husband and a wife to a whole new level. That's the word here about knowing Jesus Christ. Life with a capital L is all about that fantastic experience about knowing Jesus Christ in an intimate, experiential way. And it can be as as real of a relationship as any relationship you can have with any other person here on earth. In fact, it can be more deeply or deeper than that. (laughs) So let me sum it up. Let me just put all six of these into one little packet, okay? The offer of life with a capital L is excessive and remarkable because it's given to us by God the Father through Jesus the Son as a gift which will change us from the inside out and be so deeply satisfying because it's centered in a relationship with Jesus Christ. There's all six run together. And Paul captures this in one little phrase in Romans 6.4 when he says, we walk in newness of life. So I'm sitting in the, as I told you before, corner bakery, and I'm reviewing these six, six aspects. And suddenly a question popped to mind, and maybe it's already popped in your minds this morning. Why am I not experiencing then this life with a capital L? If these six things are biblically promised, if Jesus died to give these to me, then why do most days I feel like I live with a significant level of disappointment and frustration? Why does following Jesus so often feel like it's three steps forward, two steps back, or some days four steps back? Good question. Look at John 10 again. The perceptive among you recognize I didn't read the first part of the verse. Let's go back to the first part of the verse where Jesus says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Notice the gap we often sense but the gap between promise and fulfillment, between expectation and, and reality, has everything to do with the fact that there is someone who opposes us. Life is not a friendly game, folks. It is all out war. 
Why do you think Jesus then marries these two statements together in verse 10? Because he wants us to know that there is someone out there who opposes us at the same time that there is someone with a capital S who is out there who is offering something more to us. Both of those are happening at the same time. John Eldridge, in his book, Waking the Dead, describes it like this. He says, we are at war. I don't like that fact any more than any of you do, but the sooner we come to terms with it, the better hope we have of making it through to the life we do want to have. Because this is not Eden. This is not Mayberry. The world we live in is a combat zone where there's a violent clash of kingdoms, a bitter struggle unto death, and I'm sorry if I'm the one to have to break this news to you. You were born into a world at war, and you will live out all your days in the midst of a great battle involving all the forces of heaven and hell being played out here on earth. And every day we need to remind ourselves that this battle began long before any of us were ever born. What we were originally designed to have was lost. Before there was total depravity, there was total ecstasy. Before there was original sin, there was original glory. The first chapters of Genesis tell us that we are made, we're made in God's image, and He personally breathed into us. That the first couple enjoyed a perfect environment with a bestowed sense of glory and honor and life was unspoiled as they had this clear sense of purpose and a clear sense of identity. And it was all wrapped up in this unhindered relationship with their creator God. But Satan moved in. As John 10.10 tells us, he came as a thief to steal, steal, kill, and destroy the life that God had given that first couple. Now, hang on here. Before you think that any of us are just simply victims, no, we cooperated. It was an inside job. (laughs) That's why we have this nagging sense that something's wrong in us, that there is something wrong with us, that there is something wrong around us. And that nagging sense is real. I mean, after all, why, we have close friends. We've got a loving spouse. Why do we still feel alone? We wonder if life is going anywhere because it appears to be so random. We wonder, is it really all up to me to make life work? Why is there a part of me I can't control and that I feel in bondage to? Something is lost that we were meant to have. And Jesus Christ came to restore to us the life that God originally designed for his creatures to have. But John 10.10 makes us wake up to the fact that we have an enemy who works to keep us from finding what was lost. Not only before a person comes to Christ, but even after they become a Christian. Sometimes they struggle to come to grips with what is it mean to live out life with a capital L. I mean, what again is the thief's sole intention here? He wants to steal kill, and destroy the experience of life with a capital L. Now, if Jesus describes it like that, why do we not believe that it happens to us on a daily basis? This opposition. 
I mean, again, Satan will use every single resource at his disposal to oppose God's intentions for us. So he will lie to us, he will deceive us, he will slander and accuse us, he will incite misunderstandings between us so that there's division among us, he'll entice us, he'll seduce us, he'll pander to our pride, and those are just a few of his tools. And yet greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. But why do I have an enemy? Why is there a war? Because the issues at stake are of such immense value. Your heart is of immense value. So why is life so hard and confusing and painful? Why can't I get it together and keep it together? Why are there so few days of clarity? And I feel like I'm walking around most of the time in a fog. Why does it seem to that why does it feel like this church is under satanic attack? Because life itself, my friends, is being fought over. And our enemy does not want us to be restored to our original trajectory to find what was lost. That's why someone has made the observation, until we come to terms that every day life is not a playground but a battleground, we will misinterpret 90% of what is happening around us, to us, and within us. Let me repeat that because it is so important. Unless we come to grips with this, we will misinterpret 90% of what is happening around us, to us, and within us, the marriage, that there is someone who is opposing us and there is someone that's got something more for us. They're married together. And so the guy goes on and says, it will be very hard for us to believe that God's intentions toward us are for an abundant, capital L type of life. It will be even harder not to feel that somehow we are just blowing it. But don't lose heart in the battle, my friends. Don't lose heart. That's why Paul encouraged his young friend, Timothy, To fight the good fight of the faith. And what does he say next? And take hold of the eternal life to which you are called. He's laying out life with a capital L before this young mentor, or being mentoring him. Please don't give up. Please don't settle for anything less. Life is not found in grabbing the cards of performance and possessions and popularity. It is a narrow road. But there is something more out there for us. It's life with a capital L. And in the coming Sundays, we're going to go find it. Let's pray. Father, For many here, myself included, for many here, our response to these scriptures is twofold. It's a message that we so desperately want, but we also believe this may be too good to be true, and we don't want to be disappointed again. So we fear our vulnerability of putting our faith on the line. To believe that there really is a life with a capital L that is remarkable. 
abundant, as Jesus put it. Father, would you, as that man, that father once said before you, help my help me in my unbelief. <laughs> and some of us here this morning probably need to come before you in a spirit of confession and repentance. Because our fingerprints are all over one of the three cards in front of this pulpit. We have been gripping them way tight. And letting go is really only the first step because we will never let go unless we can hang on to something else. And I thank you that the scriptures we're going to be exploring in the coming weeks will give us the cards that ought to be in our hand. The cards that show us no matter what, how life with a capital L is there. And it's real. And it can be experienced. So Father, would you do a deep work inside of us to help us to believe, to risk believing the truth of your word and to allow you to take us where we've maybe never gone before on this journey down this narrow road to life with a capital L. Lord, I pray that for me. I pray that for my brothers and sisters in this room. That these would be weeks of seeing our lives transformed before you by the power of your word. And by the life of Jesus Christ being expressed up and out of us in a new and wonderful way. Father, I want to have the audacity to pray that. (laughs) Help me in my unbelief. Because this is good news. It's good news to believe. And so I pray it in your most faithful, gracious, and loving name. Amen. Hey, thanks for being with us today. It's always a pleasure to serve you with this CD ministry. Here at Rancho Baptist Church, our mission is to glorify God by making disciples who love God, love others, and live to reach their world for Christ. And if you have any questions regarding this sermon, or just perhaps knowing God in a deeper way, don't hesitate to give us a call. Our phone number is area code 951-676-2911. Or you can reach us on the web at www.ranchobaptistchurch.org. That's www.ranchobaptistchurch.org. Have a great day in the Lord, and God bless you as you continue to walk with Him.